Oh, there's lightning. There must be lightning in the area. Both teams are heading to their locker rooms, so clearly the officials have received word from the weather people they're in contact with that uh, there's lightning in the area. And away the teams go to their locker rooms, and we've seen this movie before. They do not waste any time at all when these situations come up. Couldn't even have waited till halftime. No. <laughs> Only eight minutes away. And we, of course, never have any idea how long these things are going to last. Well, it uh, it lasted a while. Twice. <laughs> the first delay was over 75 minutes. Yeah. That was the first delay. That was around 8.30-ish ballpark. Uh, ish, yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. It's all a blur, Brett McGarry. It's yeah. all a blur. Resumed shortly before 10 o'clock, right before 10, and then the second delay began at 10:19 and that one went till almost midnight. So the game ended at 1 they still how they managed to get that game in by 1:17. I guess they just blitzed through it after that. No basically no timeouts, no TV timeouts, no commercials. They just away they went and uh, the Blue Bombers of course coming out on the short end of a 33-30 score, but can I just commend the thousands of fans, I, we don't know the actual number of people that stayed at IGF till the end last night, but there were still thousands of people in the building when the game finally concluded. Hats off to them. I mean, t- no disparaging remarks to anyone who had to leave, but an absolute pat on the back to anybody who stayed till the end of that game last night and cheered and sounded loud Yeah, last night. Looked like there were yeah some some libation-fueled uh, fans. I suspect that may have had something to do with the ability to stay out in the rain and out in the elements as long as they did. Well, there was one point where I, they showed the rum hut was closed. I don't know what time they shut it down, but uh, that must have made a few people sad. I had the game. I felt guilty. You were at the game. Jerry was working. The, well, you were working the game. Jerry was working the game. Jeff Braun's working the game. I figured Kelly was up late watching the game. <laughs> Normally, I would I would try to go to bed. I stayed up till eleven o'clock, which would have been should have been enough time to watch the game. But I didn't even get to stay stick around for halftime. But yeah, we're all a little tired today. But it's uh, it was it was exciting, and I managed to. If you ever watch the home games, I think we try to sync up the the road game, go into delay for the road games, but we don't go into delay on CJOB for the home games because a lot of guys, a lot of people like to bring the radio to the game so they can listen to Bob call the game while they're watching it live. So when you're at the stadium and you get the play-by-play live, it's actually a really cool experience. It's the only way to do it as far as I'm concerned. But I put the game on TV, pulled up CJOB.com on my phone, wasn't that hard to sync it up? It took maybe 30 seconds to get it right. Just pausing the TV. No, pause, pause. Ah, there we go. Oh, I went too far. Had to rewind a little bit. Um, Good for you. I mean, you. So, yeah, you can do that with cjob.com. I had a Bluetooth over my speaker, or you could do it with the radio player app or whatever, uh, or you could just turn on an actual radio if uh, you have one. If you have one of those ancient pieces of equipment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was that, that was the way to go. wanted to ask you, as I was listening to you in your pregame coverage, I wrote down yeah. some notes. Oh, no. Um, Were you judging me? No. Oh, okay. I, you, how do you remember that in 1984, there was two feet of rain at Winnipeg Stadium. June 21st, 1984. I think it was the first day of the Red River X. It was a preseason game between the Lions and the Bombers. You were there? I was there. The Lions, I think, won 14-4. to It was not much of a game at all. Uh, but there was about a 45-minute to an hour range. I just... One of those things, Brett. One of those things. Do you have an I? What do you call, is it? Eidetic? I did maybe on some stuff. I wouldn't go that far, uh, but there's certainly things that stick with me. And I like dates. I like history. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can't believe you you, you uh, wrote that down. Yeah, I also wrote down uh, Tristan in Miami, Manitoba. Tristan in Miami, Manitoba. I caught Clay Young mentioning that, so we're going to try to speak to Tristan Field Jones at 7:37. He was out. And about in southern Manitoba uh, doing some storm chasing. We heard from Jeff Braun in the news that uh, Pelican Campground and Lounge uh, in Nanette, which is southwest of Winnipeg, about 200 kilometers southwest, that's where we had the 
softball-sized hail. If you want to see pictures, I put it on the CJOB Instagram page, uh, along with some of the storm stats. Uh, Here's one notable stat. Tornado spotted near Wascada. Wascada, Manitoba. 7.25 p.m. Where is that, Wascada? That is a very southwest corner of Manitoba, very southwest corner near the North Dakota border and almost to the Saskatchewan border. It's south of Melita and Deloraine. Kind of you can make a triangle towards North Dakota, a nice little arrow pointing down to North Dakota. If you connect Wascada in the south up to Deloraine in the northeast of that and then straight across to Melita and then back down again. Okay, so we're going to obviously talk about the storm a lot this morning. We're going to talk about the bombers a lot. And right now, actually... We're not. We're at seven fifteen. So don't text us right now with this. But at seven fifteen, we told you about this yesterday. The VIP fan experience contest. We want you to score yourself two tickets to the Banjo Bowl. That's on Saturday, September eighth. A bomber jersey with the player's name of your choice, as well as two VIP sideline experiences. Now the way to do this is you will need to, when we give you the cue, you will need to text us the code word to enter the VIP Fan Experience Contest. And the code word was revealed during the Bomber pre-game show. And that code word is the last name of the person who was profiled in the Bomber profile. Correct. So you have to know that. I gave you that word at about 7.29 yesterday. Well, maybe not quite that late. Maybe 7.24 on the pregame show yesterday. So if that's your hint, if you want to, you know, stumble upon the audio vault at cjob.com. And when we give you that cue at about 7.15, that is when you'll have a 10-minute window to text us that code word to be entered into that contest. And, uh, of course, the winner will be selected in a couple of months. Power outages all over southern Manitoba. I'm taking a look at the power outage map right now. It looks like south southern Manitoba has the measles, the mumps, and... <laughs> And uh, chickenpox <laughs> all at the same time. So there are thousands of uh, Manitoba Hydro customers without power. The total right now, according to the website, is 12448 across a variety of regions, communities, and rural municipalities. So if you are without power right now, you are definitely not alone in that boat. 613 on 680 CJOB. More on the storm, more on the game. And, hey, the mayor's coming to visit us at 745 with his dog. Get out. That's cool. He said, hey, he was supposed to be on yesterday. Yes. But we had to ask him to reschedule because we had the CFL party yesterday at 707. So he said, okay, I'll come in Friday morning, but you got to let me bring my dog. So I'm excited to meet the... The first dog of Winnipeg. As is, he, it in, is it Indi- Indiana? Indiana Bowman. He's got his own Instagram account. That's not. He does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Looking forward to that. Storm stat from Environment Canada. At 7.15 p.m., walnut-sized hail fell at Belmont along with 76 millimeters of rain in 30 minutes. How big is a walnut? I don't know, to take your finger and your thumb and kind of put them together, do that okay sign, walnut probably fit in there. Okay. It's pretty big. Yeah, I just, they've got quarter... Looney, toony? Yeah, they, re- they report quarter-sized hail, toony-sized hail, loony-sized hail, and uh, walnut-sized hail. Oh, we've also got golf ball, nickel, and uh, <laughs> softball-sized hail. This is the, the range of sizes yeah. that we have? Yeah, it's nuts, coins, and... Uh, <laughs> Throwing Sp- sports apparatus. <laughs> it's the official Environment Canada scale of in- hail size. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> hey, uh, by the way, if you're out in a boat in traffic, 780-6868, if you can text us tips uh, safely, 7811320 if you want to call us. Uh, Wazoo says, hey, GMAC, the great Wazoo here, lights are completely out at Mission and Archibald. No oh. red flashing, so obviously treat that as a four-way stop. So uh, we got. Let's talk about the game for a second here, and I know Kelly's coming up with the full details on what happened in the game. But uh, Chris Strebler, my initial thought on this guy, uh, obviously he had some jitters in the beginning, but 
kind of worked him out, and he's really explosive when he uh, when he takes off. Yeah, absolutely. He, we spoke about this in the pregame show and throughout the different iterations of uh, versions of halftime shows last night. Uh, that That is one of his strengths. He threw for over 4,400 yards last year at South Dakota. He also ran for nearly 900 yards wow. last season. So he's very fast. He ran a 4.54 second 40 or 4... Four five four, as they say in the football world, which is very fast. What's that? Four point five four seconds in the forty yard dash. Okay, it's uh, he, that would put him probably in the top ten percent of most NFL players. Wow. Um, and Ed Tate points out uh, he's high hipped. Nothing okay. I'd ever thought about. It just means he's got long legs, and he's, he just he just runs very well, Actually, very efficiently. Yeah, you know what, now that I, I see that now, yeah, as I remember watching the game last night. Yeah, high-hipped, okay. Yep, so uh, you're bang on. It, it is a weapon in his, uh, what do you call it? In, in repertoire? Your, in his repertoire. Arsenal? An arrow in his quiver. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't he wasn't afraid to break it out last night. In fact, I think it settled him down at a couple different points when his throw weren't necessarily on when he took off he was able to make some plays and I think it settled him down quite nicely more changes coming to Manitoba's hospitals with officials yesterday revealing that there are further plans to streamline the system the goal is to reduce the number of organizations who oversee health from 12 to 8 cut the number of boards from 9 to 7 and put everything from laundry and food under one umbrella group known as shared health services. It could mean millions in savings, but as Global's Tim Brooke tells us, details on how the province will get there are vague. This blueprint aims to streamline the entire health system by restructuring who does what and includes an outline that could find $65 million in savings. What it doesn't include, more information about job losses or plans for rural health care. They haven't provided us exactly how this is going to be laid out. They aren't giving us dates of who, when things are going to happen. They're not telling us who's all going to be involved in it. They're not telling us whether they're going to cut services, increase the services. We are indeed on the right track. Shared Health will take over dozens of organizations like the Addictions Foundation of Manitoba and the Selkirk Mental Health Centre. The blueprint also shifts some provincial responsibility and outlines who should be doing what. To get there, the health minister admits some positions will have to be eliminated, but did not say when or how many. It's not my mandate to, to build the economy through economic development of health care. My mandate is to deliver health care in the best way that it can be delivered. The province has previously said that more information about rural health care, including potential closures, was coming soon, but there was no word on that on Thursday. Instead, the health minister doubled down on a promise that things will be clearer come June or July. Tim Brooke, Global News. Now, Dr. Brock Wright and Ian Shaw from Shared Services Manitoba joined Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham in studio on the news after the announcement yesterday on CJOB. Dr. Wright says the changes are about making things streamlined. The reason that's important is because over the last 20, 15, 20 years in our healthcare system, there have been many reports, many recommendations, all focused on how to improve services. And it's been very difficult to implement those recommendations because they butt up against a system that's been very uh, segregated out with multiple organizations that do their own independent planning, set their own standards. They're all good organizations, but they're not integrated. They're not coordinated. So we needed to change the structure so that we could come together provincially and work together to establish plans, set standards, and implement change. Now Shaw says the new changes will have a strong focus on what Manitoba needs. We're taking some leading practices from different jurisdictions across Canada and also uh, internationally. We've been informed by some of the work that's been done previously by KPMG and Dr. Peachy's reports on the clinical and preventive services side. And we're taking very careful steps actually to combine that with the knowledge of leaders in our own uh, system so that we have more of a made-in-Manitoba feel that takes advantage of those leading practices. Now, I think Nicole sent us a text message here at 780-6868 to set our minds at ease about our hesitation to stop praying for rain. She says, fellas, Highway 7 North, lots of water on the farm field. So uh, I think we can we can rest easy now, Brett. You posting stuff to Instagram? I am putting, I'm giving details on the 
VIP fan experience contest on the 680 CJOB Instagram. How can people follow you on Instagram? You put up some pretty quality uh, stuff there, buddy. It's just at Brett McGarry on Instagram. You're GMACWPG. On Instagram and on Twitter. You got to get on the Twitter. I do. Machine, my man. I do. Hey, uh, Father's Day is on Sunday, and I would just, you know, you don't have to get your dad anything, but it might be a nice idea to do that. In honor of dad, we're having coffee and we're talking about larger than life stories our dads told us. And Kelly, we were talking before the break, Brett and I, about ashtrays and the prominence that (laughs) ashtrays had in our homes growing up, at least for us. Uh, Just if you can't, if you don't think society can change, think about that. Think about how we used to smoke on airplanes and somebody texted in, you can't even get a car with an ashtray in it now. So is that right? Yes. So the world has changed substantially. Did you ever? uh, Sorry sorry to interrupt you here, but yeah, in 2007, when I got my Honda Civic. 11 uh, years ago. Yeah. I had to. They didn't have it in the car. I had to get them to throw in an ashtray accessory that fit in the cup holder. Wow. So (laughs) things have changed. Did you ever get a a clay ashtray as a Father's Day gift from from, uh, the girls at all? I'm trying to remember. No, because uh, we uh, we, we quit smoking before the, the girls were, well, Right when the first daughter was born. Right, right. Yeah, quit right on the spot and never had a hankering to get back to it. So, yeah, no, there was no need for an ashtray. I just remember yeah. in grade two, everyone making an ashtray yeah. out of clay yeah. for Can you Father's imagine the, <laughs> the coverage that would get now? I think the some teacher teachers would be should vilified. do that. I think be oh, great. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> we also want to talk about some of the crazy things our dads told us. So, uh, Shanley, did you, did you ever uh, have any... Uh, Tales uh, that turned out not to be true uh, spun upon you? Well, I this one was never verified, but in my adult life, I'm thinking maybe it wasn't true. So once when I was I was maybe five years old, and I asked my dad to tell me a, a, read me a story. Good night, and I said, "Here's the book. Read me the story." And he's like, "I'm not going to read you from that book. I'm going to tell you a story." So he told me a story. But when he was a child, and he had uh, two older brothers, and they were out in the out in the, the woods, and they stumbled upon a, a, a beehive in a tree, and it 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 f- fell on it fell on my dad's head, and honey all spilt out all over him. Right. And then, uh-oh, what comes along? A, big, a bear. A big, scary bear. <laughs> and so, of course, you know, they're terrified. Oh, no. And the bear comes along and leans into my dad and licks the honey off his head and then goes away. <laughs> and so Sounds I, true to me. <laughs> I, I thought that was a true story for for many years. And not only in my adult life did I think, you know, that's that doesn't seem that plausible. Was this in the hundred acre woods? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man, Kelly, did you ever spin well, tails, or did your dad spin tails? Well, actually, it was a, a trick that uh, our dad played on us. And funny or uh, ironically, it, it involves a bear. We lived in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm talking about remote British Columbia growing up. So my, uh, I can't remember which brother it was, but one of my older brothers, he and I had decided that we were going to go on this trail because we had always tried to find this mysterious past lake where the lake was just filled with fish. You know, all you had to do is put your line in there and you'd, you'd catch your limit easy. So we're walking up this trail, talking around, and all of a sudden we hear this turn around and all we saw was black and we thought it was the bear so we're running and then we realized it was my dad in a black (laughs) t-shirt wow never got to pass lake yeah he didn't want you to steal his fish yeah we had to go back home for some necessary changes (laughs) (laughs) clothing of a clothing variety we'll leave it at that (laughs) what about you jerry my dad never told me any stories that uh, were fake. At, at least that's what I believe at this point in time. I believe everything he ever told me was the truth. But he had a lot of those sayings uh, that, uh, you know, like I would say, well, I well, I thought that you were going to do this. He said, well, you know what thought did? And I'm like, no, no, I don't know what thought did. And I can't say it on the radio. Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it was just if I was talking too much, he'd say "stick a sock in it." That was always one of one of his sayings: "is stick a sock in it." And or, or if I said a, a wisecrack, he'd say, "Well, you know why they don't send donkeys to school, don't you?" And I'd be like, "No, no, I don't." <laughs> I never understood half of his sayings until I got older, I, and I just felt really inadequate. <laughs> Cryptic. Cryptic sayings? Yes. Yes. What about you, Greg? Oh man, I'm looking at a picture of. Um, 
In Kenora, they've got this giant fish in this park. Uh, uh, what's it Husky called? the musky? Husky the musky. Yeah, he's 40 feet tall. Until I was about six years old, I believe my dad caught that fish because that's exactly what he told us. Mm. That once upon a time, he was out on the lake with my grandpa. And my dad wasn't much of a fisherman, but we believe that he actually caught Husky the musky. So uh, I told my kids that same story when they were about four years old. And they have their picture taken in front of Husky the musky. They didn't believe it for a second. Yeah. I was gullible, though, and believed it because, you know, dads are superheroes, plain and simple. He had arms like tree trunks. His name was Homa. He caught the fish. <laughs> well done, Jerry. Well done. Brett, you got to sneak one in here. I don't have anything to sneak in. I can't remember if my dad ever... He, he was never one to spin tails. And uh, usually if I asked him to, to show me how to do something, he, he would just do it. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. I don't know. I got nothing to add to this. Sorry, I, guys. Can I add a couple of quick sayings? My dad that stuck Please. with me from my dad yet. I'll be I'll, I'll be there in two shakes of a dead lamb's tail. <laughs> yes, that was, a, and I'm hungry enough to eat a horse and catch the rider later. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Text says your dad's stories though, 204 780 Sorry, Dad, I can't remember if you ever lied to me. I guess that's a good thing. Smash, Smash Gordon uh, just always tells the truth. That's just the way it is. But yeah, you can text us at 204-780-6868. Coming up at 7.15, the couch potatoes will assemble to tell you what's new in theaters. Normally we do that at 7.37, but this morning at 7.37 we're going to speak to CJOB's resident storm chaser, Tristan Field-Jones, who was out in southwest Manitoba. He was around Morden and uh, Miami, Manitoba. Remember the Super Bowl contest? Where they uh, yes. said the Super Bowl in Miami. Scruff. Yeah. And they, they put people on a bus and sent them to Miami, Manitoba. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Behind the glass. Jerry here, of course. 680 CJOB's Tristan Field-Jones is a resident storm chaser. He was out and about. He joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Tristan, where did you find yourself last night? Uh, well, last night I ended up finding myself uh, not far from uh, Morton, actually uh, just outside of Manitou. Uh, it was one of those circumstances where I'd been driving for quite a while. I mean, that's about an hour and a half outside the city. And, you know, the, the thing about storm chasing is it's, it's very much, uh, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of luck that plays into it because you have to be, you know, lucky that you happen to come across a storm after doing a bit of research, I guess, on to where the storms might form, how they might form. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But, uh, you know, there, that area is, is a little bit hilly, so I was almost ready to give up on the evening until kind of got over the last hill. Like I said, it was just outside Manitou and suddenly saw the, the, this massive storm that was out there, and it would uh, eventually end up hitting Winnipeg later in the evening. So, Tristan, we were pretty sure that this severe weather was not going to hit the city of Winnipeg and, until about midnight last night. Was it fast moving? Was it unpredictable? Did it develop uh, over uh, the prairies? How did this happen that we were, uh, you know, several uh, people that, you know, know a lot about weather were off on this by, oh, a good two or three hours? Oh, I know what you mean, Greg, because... Uh, yesterday afternoon throughout the news run, I had clips of uh, our global news weather specialist, Mike Conkin, uh, and, you know, we were saying that uh, the rain should hold off until, you know, about midnight or so after the bomber game. And it's just that. That's Mother Nature for you. There are so many factors that play into storm development, especially on the prairies. And what ended up happening is the storms formed on time as expected, the original plan, if you will, was that they would form kind of in southeast Saskatchewan, not far from the Manitoba border, and would sort of eventually end up moving eastward. And by the time they got to Winnipeg, they would, uh, uh, you know, it would be 11 p.m. midnight past the bomber game. But what ended up happening is these storms formed further east than expected, and they kind of formed in waves. I mean, when the atmospheric conditions are right for storms, you know, they, they won't stop. So what ended up happening is they were just further east and they got to the city quicker because they formed further east than expected. Um, and that's how we ended up getting pounded. And Winnipeg was in the crosshairs uh, a couple times. 
We saw softball size hail in Nanette, uh, golf ball hail, walnut hail, and even softball hail. Why does that hail tend to not fall in the city? Am I correct in saying that? I don't think I've ever seen hail close to that big in the city. Uh, we have uh, no. You are right, Brett. I mean, Winnipeg, uh, in terms of large hailstorms, not that it doesn't happen though. I think it was uh, in uh, 1996 when we got hit by a hailstorm uh, that uh, produced not hail, not quite that big, but I think it was about egg size. And uh, I remember it ended up costing about $200 million worth of damage overall. And I think MPI had 25,000 claims as a result of it. So um, it has happened before in Winnipeg. It is rare, though. I think it mostly has to do simply put with luck. I mean, the, the fact is anywhere, and if you look at the size of southern Manitoba, and then if you look at what is required for a severe storm like that, to, to hit a given area, and then that storm has to travel over that area over a specific time. You, you put all of that together, and the chance of anywhere getting hit in southern Manitoba is very, very low. Really, it just comes down to probability. I think it was Nanette and those areas in the southwestern corner that got hit really bad last night. Um, and because of the way Mother Nature works, it, it's very possible Nanette may not get hit by something like that for another 50 years, or it could happen next month. Who knows? But it really comes down to, again, probability and luck. Um, and some of it, too, when it comes to, I mean, we have the urban uh, heat effect you know, over Winnipeg because of all the concrete and the pavement and what have you. Um, and what happens is when it comes to certain storms, now this would be ones with, with smaller hail, sometimes that hail will melt before it reaches the ground. So either it'll be smaller or it'll just fall as more rain. So that also affects it too. Now, if it were, you know, tennis ball sized or softball sized, that probably wouldn't have as much of an effect on it. But again, really, it all comes down to chance and probability. Tristan Field Jones, 680 CJOB anchor and storm chaser. Thank you very much for getting out there last night. Glad you stayed safe and thanks for joining us this morning. You betcha. <laughs> That's great. We Not the normal the, Iron Maiden, but yeah. we something named the dog Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> the mayor of Winnipeg joins us in studio now. Did you know we were going to be really extra tough on you today? So you soften us up with the four-legged fur friend yeah, here. This, uh, we were saying off air, if, if this doesn't work, bring in Indiana or dog. I'm bringing in infinite next time. All yeah. right. <laughs> oh, I, I like dogs. Dogs best. So yeah, yeah and I love babies. Yeah. So you know I what? Don't th- know. Th- thanks for accommodating him. I, you know, like a lot of families, we're we're, we're kind of busy on time, and he goes into a doggy daycare a couple times a month, and. Uh, Logistically, this morning, uh, this this helps a lot. So appreciate well, it. Helps us, and he'll too. take the tough questions. Here oh, we go. Okay. Well, you know what? You you uh, were kind enough to juggle your schedule for us yesterday. So thanks for that, no Mr. Mayor. Hey, speaking of schedules, summer's so short in our part of the world. We don't need to hammer that point home. Uh, I only bring it up because a lot of people like to get projects done, whether it's decks, whether it's pools, whether it's rec rooms, other additions to our home. And I know that uh, some people that I know are really complaining that things are tremendously backed up with regard to building permits. Is that accurate? Is it busier than normal? You know what? It has been very busy. I mean, the last four years have been exceptionally busy. And uh, depending on what uh, what you're measuring, whether it's commercial, residential renovations, things like that, it's either the busiest year we've had in the last four years or second busiest uh, in terms of year to date, where we are halfway during the year. So it is exceptionally busy. Um, we're actually making some accommodations to uh, to try to alleviate and to help people because you're right, it, you want things done as quickly as possible. Uh, we're now offering extended hours on Wednesday evenings until 7 p.m. for homeowners uh, permit applications, which as far as we know is the only jurisdiction um, that, that we've been able to find that's, that's doing that, as well as uh, offering inspections for homeowners three evenings a week, as well as on weekends. So uh, city's going to continue to do its part, and we're obviously always looking for improvements, as am I. Still closed on Mondays? Um, you know what? I, I'd have to get back to you on that. Yeah, I'd like them open 24-7 if I could. Yeah, uh, of course. But, yeah, but uh, right now, I mean, one of the initiatives that we worked on and I announced it in one of my state of the city addresses with the chamber is a permit logistics desk. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to look for tangible tangible ways that we can make improvements to the system to speed things up in, in many of our, uh, in many of our, um, 
our measurables, though, uh, we're, we're actually seeing, I think for 75% of the permit applications are actually coming in quicker than our targets. So uh, the targets um, are typically 10 days, um, 75% are, are coming in within eight days. So as long as everything is in order when, when the, the, the applications are made, we're actually going faster than, than our targets. It's the 25%, of course, sure. for people that if you're one of the 25%, uh, that doesn't give you much comfort. And so that's why additional time is is one way to alleviate that pressure. The other thing that we're doing, though, is we've uh, we've actually um, just started the perm, uh, Winnipeg Permits Online. And you can now search um, for construction-related permits by civic address. So this is especially good if you're looking to buy a house. Um, let's say, for instance, you wanted to buy the legislature. You know, we could search right now online, uh, 450 Broadway, and you can pull up in real time and see there is... I'll show you here. Um, there's one, they've got interior alterations and occupancy for a new tourism office uh, in rooms nine and 11 of Fantastic. the lower level. So you can, this is, this is one of the things that, um, that is being led by, of course, our chief innovation officer is, is just making sure you can get the data uh, quicker. So if you're in the trades, if you're looking at, at buying a house, you want to see the status by civic address. Uh, way you go. I should actually search for CJOB's office. So what you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by, by all means, transparency is a good thing on all levels. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about uh, construction. I know that uh, there's lots of construction and it's great. We have infrastructure that needs to be repaired. Yep. But there is an instance, one an example of uh, construction headache downtown. Uh, Notre Dame and Albert, people trying to get out from Albert. There's a parkade right there. It was taking them an hour just to get out of the parkade. So we're wondering... I mean, it's, it's, we need the construction, yeah. but is, is that an example of where maybe we need more planning that goes around that construction to ensure that, that we can still keep traffic moving? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we created is a, is a new chief project and asset manager. And so um, it's making sure the right hand and the left hand within the city are, are communicating in real time. We also have um, a website right now that you can, you can see in, in real time where the construction is happening. And then if you tap into the Waze app, It'll it'll uh, it'll give you real time data on on your right record uh, investments. That particular, you know, I saw I I did see someone uh, tweeted at me, and that's one thing that you know in that specific instance that uh, I need to look into, and I and I will because um, uh, I'm not sure what was going on with that specific project. But you're right. Um, you know, we have this is uh, this year will be historic once again. Historic investments in road 200. Uh, projects totaling 150 lane kilometers. Now that'll take you from Winnipeg to the Ontario border. And so, um, you know, folks are going to have to be very patient because there is a lot of construction. I'm caught in it as well. Um, but we got to fix the roads and and we're going in the right direction. We can actually measure the, um, the uh, infrastructure deficit and we can see that we are actually getting ahead on road repairs for the first time in, in many, many years. So is this maybe a case of just, you know, an orange diamond sign saying your lane ahead is closed in six feet isn't good enough? Could, could we be looking at some of those other things in terms of giving people uh, longer warnings, uh, more distinctive warnings about lane traffic closures that are coming up? Because not everyone has the Waze yeah. app or is interested in, in, in dealing with that while they're driving, clearly. Yeah, I mean... Uh, with the record investments, and I mean, let's keep in mind, roads is my number one priority, sure. and it's council's number one priority, and we've backed that up with with real tangible results on the ground. Uh, with record investments in roads comes a corresponding um, incentive for everybody to to make sure we're communicating more proactively to everybody involved, so you can plan your route, you can plan your drive. The ways is, is is the best one because it's real time. You can hear from you don't have to wait to hear from the city. You can hear from Waze users. But in Waze real time. isn't going to help you get you out of a parkade. No, and that's why I'll look into that one. Of course, I mean if there's if it's blocked, I you know I don't know if it was blocked by the city, if it was blocked by the owner of the the lot. I mean, I just I'll, I'll I you it. know I think it's just a convergence of yeah. a bunch of things yeah. happening at rush hour, and so sometimes it might just mean dedicating a resource to having a flag person there to direct some traffic. You know, we, we just might have to be thinking outside the box uh, on some of this stuff. Waverly West, well, I know Janet... 24-7 is another another thing that we're, we're you know, Councillor Marty Morantz began uh, to more aggressively look at it. Uh, Councillor Matt Allard is now in the chair and I'm, I'm working with him, of course, but um, you know, we we are having some some construction that's happening 24-7. We want to see more of it. It's, it's tough in a city like Winnipeg where you don't have freeways uh, where the roads are right next to homes and there's there's sound restrictions that we have to manage as well, but 
um, you know, we're going to keep doing our best. And, and you're right. I mean, we, we are looking at, at all the ways in which we communicate with, with folks because you don't want to see anybody stuck in a parking lot for an hour. I mean, no, that's, of course that's not. That's not something I want to see. And you've got a situation yeah. on Provence that's backing out back onto Main yeah. Street, et cetera. We could list a litany of things. Uh, Janice Lukes, I know, has been in touch with you with regard to city facilities, uh, well, at least facilities that should have been switched over to city responsibility, at least in the view of the councillor and the developers we're talking about yeah. some soccer fields in Waverly West and Bridgewater Forest, uh, mm-hmm. the Town Fountain Square, and, yeah. and a variety of other uh, issues. Uh, quickly, are we are we going to sort this out? Yeah, I mean, uh, firstly, I, I want to for those for those residents that are that live in Waverly West. I mean, I want to let them know that I'm obviously committed to working collaboratively to resolve the issue. It was raised by the the local councillor uh, this this past week to me. Um, I know she's been working on it for uh, about a year and. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, she obviously hasn't been able to get results. I, I think the approach matters. I think if you're simply angry, um, I know she's advocating strongly for the developer. I'm going to work collaboratively with the public service to, uh, to see what we can do to move this matter forward because, uh, we want to see, uh, we want to see both fountain and we want to see the amenities that, uh, other residents in other parts of the city enjoy. And, and quite frankly, they deserve. Yeah, but I think I think the approach matters. I think, you know, working collaboratively is uh, is going to get better results than simply being being angry. Mayor Brian Bowman and his dog, Indiana <laughs> Bowman. You can follow them both on Instagram. Thanks for the visit. Yeah, thanks always. a lot, guys. Have a great day. June 15th, that's today's World Elder Abuse Day. And, you know, right in the headlines... In the last couple of days, story about Stan Lee, the founder of Marvel Comics, right? Yeah. Maybe a victim of elder abuse himself. So this is a situation that we should be aware aware of without question to tell us more about how to recognize the signs of elder abuse and what you can do about it. We are joined in studio by Kathy Majowski, chair of the Canadian Network for the Prevention of Elder Abuse. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, guys. This is an important topic, and uh, so so maybe we should jump right into the whole question of of signs and and who should be paying attention to this. Well, I mean, really, everyone should be paying attention. We are a a global community, and uh, the signs could be recognized anywhere. Um, some of the signs of uh, elder abuse aren't necessarily evident. Um, we have. A few different kinds. There's physical, sexual, emotional, financial, violation of rights and freedoms, and systemic abuse. So uh, only 61% of people that suffer elder abuse are actually injured. Uh, It's more important uh, to stay connected. Social isolation is a huge risk for elder abuse. So connecting to those individuals that are around you that may not have family close by, may not have friends close by, that are getting older and need a little bit more assistance, that neighbor that might be kind of on her own or on his own. Why do people perpetrate this kind of abuse? Oh, well, I, I can't uh, I can't guess what's going on in their minds, but uh, a large majority of the perpetrators are actually related uh, to the the older adult. Uh, in some cases, the older adult is actually dependent on them for care or helping them out with shopping or uh, financial assistance or is supporting them in some way. So these individuals are very close to the older adult, whether it be related or connected to them in ways like they're a caregiver. They're involved with them on a business uh, level, like uh, involved with their finances. So it's it's because they're a vulnerable population. I think underlying all of it, too, is um, a, a level of ageism. Uh, the idea that maybe our older adults are not as valuable. This is something that is is a problem throughout many different societies. Um, just that the general level of respect. Uh, older adults are, in some cases, not seen as contributing. So, it, is mm-hmm. this is this culturally exclusive to North America? North American cultures. You, you know, I, I know lots of people who are puzzled by the fact I have a cousin who's married to a fellow from Mexico. And I'll never forget the time he said to me, he goes, what's an old age home? Like they don't have Mm -hmm. those in Mexico. So is there a problem within our, you know, you mentioned respect and Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, older people in our culture. Is, Is this part of the problem? 
Well, I think different cultures view older adults in different ways, absolutely. Um, I, I do think this is a global phenomenon. This is a global issue. Um, the, the Actually, the origins of uh, World Elder Abuse Awareness Day come from the International Network for the Prevention of Elder Abuse, um, looking to shine a light on uh, the fact that it is a global issue. And in some cultures, it might be more prevalent. In some communities, it might be more prevalent. And a lot of it comes down to um, how individuals view our older adults. So I am part of my my background as well in in uh, healthcare. Um, I, I deal with individuals from other countries, colleagues, and the same same thing that you're saying is that they've never heard of a personal care home. It's it's just not something that's done where they're from, and so it is sort of a different idea of how to care for our older adults. That's also what systemic abuse um, um, can be related to. It's also known as institutional abuse where individuals could be stripped of their dignity because of um, just the nature of where they're living. So what can people who are experiencing elder abuse, what can they do or who can they reach out to? Well, the Canadian Network for the Prevention of Elder Abuse, the um, the charity that I'm involved with, um, has uh, a lot of resources. Uh, the majority of our resources are online, so this does present uh, a problem to individuals that don't have easy access or are not comfortable using computers. Um, but getting involved with PEAM Manitoba, the Prevention of Elder Abuse Manitoba organization, they've got resources as well. Uh, senior centers, um, uh, even lawyers, um, the le- going the legal route, finding out what your rights are, um, and is definitely caregivers, family members that suspect elder abuse, uh, they should be tapping into those resources and gathering more information. I mean, unfortunately, not all provinces have mandatory reporting when elder abuse is suspected, but that's actually something we're working towards uh, as a, a pan-Canadian organization. Well, if you have someone in your life that just might need a phone call today, maybe today's a really good excuse to do that. And uh, this is an important uh, topic for sure. Kathy, thank you for this. We, we greatly appreciate your time and you bringing this to our awareness. Thank you very much for having me. Is there somewhere online we can go? Do you have a website? Absolutely. The cnpea.ca. And you'll find all kinds of information about forms of abuse, uh, abuse prevention, local and um, Canadian resources. Kathy Majowski, Chair of the Canadian Network for the Prevention of Elder Abuse. Once again, today, June 15th, is World Elder Abuse Day. You have some great friends in Obrecht. Yes. What's that group of guys you golf with? You go in the lake, is it the Laker Classic? That's right. This year is the 20th annual Laker Classic. I got some pretty good friends I like to hang out with. Okay. But uh, most of them are uh, at least under about 80 years old. <laughs> okay. The Winnipeg Art Gallery give me uh, an <laughs> opportunity. You never know where I'm going with those things. I figured you'd catch on by now. A new exhibit. Opening up uh, today, Winnipeg Art Gallery bringing the biggest names in Impressionism to Manitoba. Summer with the Impressionists runs uh, June 16th to the 9th. I guess that'll be tomorrow, closing uh, the Art Gallery a little bit early today, Dr. Boris. Oh, let me bring on Dr. Stephen Boris, excuse me, Director and CEO of the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Good morning, sir. Good morning. So you're shutting things down a little bit early to uh, get a preview for some folks, and then it's uh, full summer with the Impressionists. Tell us about this uh, outstanding opportunity. Well, it's going to be an amazing summer. Yes, you know, a special night for our members tonight and then for everyone else tomorrow. This is um, the first show of its kind ever at the WAG, really. We've we brought, you know, we've, we brought in a few Impressionist paintings over the years, but nothing like what we're doing this summer. So... Impressionist. I, I have to admit, uh, Dr. Boris, I, when it comes to art, I'm, I, I don't know anything. I, I'm trying to, to culture myself, and this show has helped us do that. Uh, one of the places I still need to visit is the Winnipeg Art Gallery. So what is, when you say the Impressionists, what do you mean? Well, you know, I know you know something, and I think everyone knows what they like. And it turns out the Impressionist movement, which was in the last decades of the 19th century, is remains the most popular movement in the history of Western art. And um, these artists, men and women, painting, you know, in Paris and in France from about 1870 to the 1890s, were painting everything. But it's how they used 
color, how they use light and paint to capture these impressions. And, you know, 150 years later, we're still loving these, these paintings. Claude Monet, probably the most recognizable name, at least for me. Would I be in the majority there, uh, Stephen? Yes. You know, Claude Monet, Renoir, Degas, Cezanne, they're all here. And they're represented by some of the most fabulous works from the Brooklyn Museum in New York and also from the National Gallery of Canada, which has lent a number of works. The Impressionists on Paper, I see, that was curated by you. Tell us about that. Well, it's, it's a kind of a complimentary show that looks at very intimate drawings, watercolors, pastels by these artists. So the Brooklyn exhibition has about 60 paintings and sculptures, and then there's some additional works. The National Gallery Works looks at these wonderful scenes painted, um, I mean, drawn or used with watercolor or pastel that kind of exposes the whole painting process for these artists. So you're seeing the full the full gamut. So why were the Impressionists viewed as outsiders in terms of, of art and maybe even societally? Uh, is that safe to say? No, it's, 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 it's safe to say, and it, it's strange to think about that today. And that's why um, the show makes it very easy for you to understand this, because the French modern show begins about two decades before the Impressionists, and it ends about three decades after. So you're seeing what came before, how the artists were working in France, and, and after. And what happens when you get to about 1875, there's this burst of color, there's a, a new painting style, the way they use brushwork, and it was very revolutionary of the day. The critics slammed them, the public weren't sure what they were doing, but within within a few years, they became incredibly popular, well-loved, and of course today, you just look at the auction records, they continue to bring in some of the highest numbers um, for the sale of these paintings. Just looking at uh, your website, uh, wag.ca, and I see in the little Summer with the Impressionists uh, sub-site, there are, there's a tab called Events, and holy smokes, there is a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, daily film screenings, for example. What kind of films? Um, <laughs> impressionist films. Films about some of these personalities behind, behind the movement. There's also, we have an app, a free app, so you can download and you can do a tour. Um, of course, Impressed.ca gives you all the information. A number of interesting lunchtime tours, evening talks. Of course, we have our summer camps, workshops. Really a lot of fun stuff connected to this very popular movement. Dr. Boris, always a pleasure to catch up with you, and this is a great opportunity to see some of the most incredible art from uh, around the world, and we appreciate you sharing time and, and letting us know about this. We'll have to check in with you throughout the summer. Hey, thanks for calling. Dr. Hey. Stephen Boris, Director and CEO of the Winnipeg Art Gallery, once again, wag.ca, and it is the summer with the Impressionists. It runs from tomorrow until September 9th. All kinds of stuff to do, including a lot of free Tours are weekend drop-in tours, I see, and uh, there's even a free uh, Friday night tour. Uh, provide That's with your gallery admission or if you're a WAG member. She's only 11 years old, and she has beaten cancer. Now Abigail Stewart wants to give back. The Children's Hospital Foundation Champion Child is hoping to give back by raising over $10,000 for the Children's Hospital through a giant bake sale that's happening tomorrow. Abigail is here in studio along with her mom, Ashley. Abigail, Champion Child, do you get like a championship belt that no. comes with that? No? We... I get a cape. You get a cape? Yeah. Oh, that's even that's better. It's pretty good. Is there an S on the back? Jerry Richardson, behind the glass, Jerry loves Superman. And Supergirl. Uh, so does it look kind of like that? Um, sort of. What color is it? It's red. Nice. It's you didn't wear it today, though. No. It's not really cape weather today, Brett. It's a little warm for a cape. Well, it's not, you know, it's, it, a cape can be worn no matter what the weather. Well, I, I tend to agree with you. Maybe we need to fix that. Maybe we need to get you a belt. So you have some uh, baked goods there that you've brought along. Are those for Brett and I, Abigail? <laughs> <laughs> I know that giggle. That means no. <laughs> who, who are those? Who are who owns those cupcakes now? 
Richard. Richard Cluche. Uh, he sniped those cupcakes on us, didn't he? Yeah. How much did he give you for the said cupcakes? $20. For four cupcakes? Yeah. You really need to go into business. That, that is really <laughs> a good profit margin. So why are you doing this uh, bake sale? So I can give back to kids and they can... So they can have go into remission like I have. What kind of cancer did you have? Uh, multi-system LCH. What is that? <laughs> so, that's a, that sounds like a medical thing, and I'm not smart enough to know what that is. So Abigail's a part-time doctor, so she'll tell you exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, we are, well, we know you're smarter than I am, so what is it? It's where your white blood cells mutate and attack the body leaving tumors in the bones and the organs. Oh, my. And where did it affect you? Uh, like, was there one spot where it was concentrated on your body? Uh, I We found tumors in the skull, a three-inch tumor in the skull and one by my left eye. Wow. Did it's, it hurt? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you were pretty young when this first happened, right, Abby? And yeah. so uh, a lot of the stories that you tell are from your mom's and your dad's stories that they tell you. But I met you the first time a few weeks ago, and you are so brave. And the way you speak about what you've been through is so powerful. Brett, didn't you see Abby on stage at the at the uh, Teddy Bear's picnic? Yeah, you were up there. Weren't you reading sponsor tags? Yeah. Did you like that? Yeah. You were good at that. I think you could uh, you could have a future in broadcasting if you want. <laughs> I think maybe you should read the, the weather forecast coming up for us in a little bit here. We'll we'll negotiate that with with Abigail. But you know, you are genuinely grateful for the care that you got at Children's Hospital. Just tell us why you're. I mean, obviously because you're better and you're well, but you still deal with some things, right? You've got a brace and some other things. Tell us about some of the, the other things that you still deal with, Abby. I deal with neuropathy in my leg. It's like a nerve damage. So I wear a brace and I have gabapentin to help control the pain and the braces so I can walk. And I have hearing tubes put in because we're still trying to figure out if I lost hearing because of the chemo or not. So... So you, your battle continues, but you, you do it with a smile. And you're, you're homeschooled too, right? Yeah. So uh, when I met you the first time, I asked you what your favorite subject was. And I think you said something about math. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you like math so much? Because I like to be challenged in my schoolwork. Well, you face a challenge like nobody I've ever met, girl. Uh, you are inspiring without question. So uh, when's this bake sale? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? And have you been, did you make all, everything that's going to be on sale? And no, we have like different friends and family baking. What kind of cupcakes are those that you, that Richard stole from us? I mean, that uh, Richard bought from you. <laughs> confetti cups. Confetti. What? Conf- what's a confetti cupcake? It's basically vanilla cupcakes with sprinkles inside. <gasps> That's my favorite. It's like birthday cake cupcakes. That's what it is. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Richard Cloutier. <laughs> Always stealing the good stuff. Where is this bake sale? Uh five forty-seven Kildare Avenue East. Transcona, my old stomping grounds of Transcona. That's where I grew up, not far, not too far from there. And this is a friend's house? Yes. Why are you having it there? Um, because they, re- we did it there last year. Okay, and it's probably good. It's a convenient location, right? It's all yeah. about location, location, location. <laughs> right, Abigail? Yeah. You know that from your marketing expertise, right? Yeah. So you told me once upon a time about what you want to do when you grow up. What is it that you want to do? Be a doctor. Be a doctor. Abigail Stewart, she's incredible. There's a reason why she's the Children's Hospital Foundation champion child. Uh, She might have to be this in perpetuity because she's uh, something special. And she's doing something to give back. She's having a bake sale. What's the address one more time, Abby? 547 Kildare Avenue East. All right. And what are you going to have besides these confetti? Well, no, you're sold out of confetti cupcakes already. So what else are you going to have? 
There's cupcakes at home. Oh, so you got you got more cupcakes? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Excellent. What else are you going to be selling? Cookies? Yeah. And donuts. Homemade donuts? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. And you've got some prizes too, right? Yeah. What kind of prizes have you got? We got stuff from like uh, the brick and gift cards from like stores. Oh. And we have Tinkertown tickets and Gold Eye tickets. Now, did you reach out to these businesses, Abigail? Yeah. Did you? So, what did they say when you first uh, called them? They said that uh, I'm doing amazing things and that they just have to donate. <laughs> and the girl guides are helping out too, right? Yeah. What are they doing? Um, they're helping with like baking and stuff. Wow. That's just great. Maybe we need to hook up with Skip the Dishes so we can get uh, these things delivered for everybody. Oh, yeah. But we'll talk about that next year. Maybe I'll help you with that, okay? Okay. You can do this again next year? Yeah. Did you do it last year? Yes. How much money did you raise last year? $1,300. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. That is amazing. How, how much are you hoping to raise this year? 5000 What? Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's ridiculous. You figure you can do that? Yeah. I figure you can do it, too. You're, you're fantastic. So the money is going to the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba to benefit the Children's Hospital Oncology Unit. What kind of doctor do you want to be? Uh, I don't know. Just want to help people get better? Yeah. Good for you. Your little sister is helping out, too, right? What is she doing? She's going to sell uh, iced tea. And what's she doing with her coloring books? She's going to... Uh, She's going to pull in a bunch of coloring books and give them to the hospital for the kids. I'm really bad at coloring. Are you? <laughs> Maybe you could get a lesson. Yeah. Can she help me out with that? Probably. Good. Abigail, um, before we let you go here, tell people how important it is when you're in the hospital to have a place to go, like the playroom, to go and color and just be a kid for a little while every day because it's not easy to be in the hospital when you're little. It is really important the, because uh, if you're not being a kid, then you're basically being an adult and you're growing up already. Yeah, and that's not fair, right? It's already unfair that you have to deal with some of these illnesses that that only adults should have to deal with. Maybe none of us, but you know, if we had a choice, right, we'd rather be adults than kids. You are my superhero, Abigail. It's so good to see you. One more time, where can we uh, support this? Where's the sale? 547 Kildare Avenue East. And you can see more about Abigail Stewart's story on YouTube. If you want the link, I can send it to you. Just email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. Once again, this is 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. tomorrow, 547 Kildare Avenue East in Transcona. Bake sale. Looking to raise $5,000. 100% of the funds go to the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba. Mackling and McGarry in the morning until 10 o'clock. Jeff Braun, thanks for all your hard work on very little sleep last night. Behind the glass, Jerry, I think, had a nap himself working on the Blue Bomber broadcast last night. Another kind of football. I think, is there a game going on, like, right now? Oh, let me check the scoreboard here, the schedule. Uh, World Cup. The first one was actually at Egypt versus Uruguay. Started at seven. So is it already done? Yeah, Uruguay. Uruguay won one nil. Oh my goodness! I know. And Crit- then it's Morocco, Iran at uh, ten, and Portugal, Spain at one. Portugal and Spain. That is going to be the highlight of the day. That's uh, you heard a third voice in the mix there. That's Chris Grace. I got a little early. Sorry. <laughs> that no problem at all. From the King's Head the pub. He's the king at the King's Head. And uh, Chris, thanks for taking some time with us uh, today because let's face it, uh, the next month or so is going to be altering a lot of people's schedules because the World Cup of Soccer is a big deal and with the multicultural community like we have in Winnipeg, there are are people from just about every single team in the World Cup. There is uh, There are people living in Winnipeg from those countries. Absolutely, 100%. We're, uh, we're very fortunate, actually, that we were able to get an extended license as well to be able to open early for a lot of these games. Um, 
Uh, you know what? And the big one, we got a big one tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. So for all of you radio folk out there that don't sleep as well, come on out. Uh, but yeah, it's Australia versus France. So that'll be a fun one. Uh, we do have a very uh, amazing Aussie that works with us. So he's going to be working it. I forced him to do that. So that'll be great. Fantastic. So five o'clock, I won't be able to get a beer until seven. Uh, that is correct, and I absolutely must say that that is so true on the air, that you cannot get a beer until 7 a.m., but 7 a.m., the taps will be open. <laughs> <laughs> 7 o'clock in one second, I imagine. You can have breakfast, but what, what uh, can I indulge in between 5 and 7 while France takes on Australia? Well, we've got some breakfast specials on, which we're pretty excited about. Our chef has been with us for about 16, 18 years uh, we have a banger's omelette, which is going to be absolutely delicious. I must say, I've crushed a couple of those before, hungover and also not. And uh, <laughs> we also have the chef's special brekkie with some bacon or sausage, scrambled eggs, fried, whatever you want them. It's going to be delicious. Great with a Granville Island Pale Ale as well, I might say. So with the, it's starting at 5, or you're open at 5, are you going to close? The Saturday night? Well, we kind of have to. Um, with it being Jazz Fest and everything, there's sort of a blanket uh, liquor license where you can stay open till 3 a.m. if we need to. Uh, so <laughs> there's a there's a good chance that we'll, we close for a couple hours and then we can actually open at 4.30 and let people back into the pub. And then, uh, yeah, and then business as usual. Now, Chrissy, you've just in the last little while taken over operation and ownership of the King's Head, and you and I have known each other for a long time, almost 20 years now. That's right. Don't, and, don't, from like what, we were 10? Yeah, from when we were 10. Yeah, 10 exactly. Yeah, back yeah. in the day. Man, when we but, were a little lighter and a, better, a little more hair. <laughs> a little more handsome, too. The, uh, the whole idea of uh, catering to these specialty crowds and, and these altered hours was something that wasn't always. Uh, available to proprietors here in the province of Manitoba. But over the last 15 years or so, I, I think the province has gotten much better. I won't speak on your behalf, but as an outsider, it seems as though they're, they seem to be a lot more accommodating with these sort of special events. Yeah, I mean, they can be. I'm from the Maritimes, as you know. So, I mean, when I moved to Manitoba, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, they they have gotten better. I will say this, it was still a struggle to be able to get our extended license this time. Uh, we had to fight pretty hard. Uh, we had to make sure that they realized how significant of a sport that soccer really is. I mean, this is the biggest sporting event in the world that actually happens. So, uh, but yeah, they, you know, after we, you know, we had some discussions back and forth, it was great. And uh, they're fully on board and very supportive. And uh, we're super pumped up about it. I mean, we're we're stoked. It's going to be a lot of hours. We're going to be working some extra because, you know, it's all the festival season and, of course, World Cup, which goes for basically a month. And uh, and then, bam, we're right, right into Fringe Fest. So, I mean, we're going to be pulling some big hours, and we love it because we do it for the people of Manitoba. I mean, Kingshead is a staple in the city, and uh, we want to make sure that we continue, uh, continue that legacy. Well, what is it about the Kingshead? I mean, I, I always had this sort of theory that if there were nuclear fire rained down upon Winnipeg, that somehow the King's Head pub would still be left standing. As long as I've been going to or been old enough to go to bars, the King's Head has been there and it's not going anywhere. We uh, we recently painted it with a nuclear proof paint, so we're pretty good to go. Uh, we do everything we can to protect beer, so that's very that's very very important to know that. Uh, no, you know what? Uh, again, the the old owner Jay, and I got to give him props because how he built that place from a forty seater to over four hundred now uh, is absolutely amazing. And the fact that it is a staple, and I mean, let's talk. I mean, it's the oldest pub in Manitoba. It's been around for a long time. Uh, the fact that I was able to take it over from him, I felt honored, and I want to make sure I continue that legacy. But I'll tell you what it is. It's the it's the people, man. That's what it is. It's the staff. I mean, we have longevity there. People just, I think they love it. But we operate as a family. And when people come in, they're a family. And when I moved 
you know, as you were saying, Greg, we know each other for a long time. I moved back to the East Coast, and when I came back here, uh, before I was able to uh, take over the King's Head, I actually, uh, I w- that was my home away from home, and uh, I felt comfortable there. And so that's what the pub is, and that's why people feel comfortable there. Well, when I moved to Alberta for the first time in 91, the pub thing was just sort of starting. And then when I went back in 99 to Calgary, it was a full-blown phenomenon. Were we slow to catch on to that style of hangout, to that style of place to spend our evenings in Manitoba? I'm thinking probably, yeah. I mean, yeah, I did my fair share of nightclubs and stuff like that back in the day, but it's the pub style, I think, that is... Uh, it's it's a go-to, I think, and it becomes comfort for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, the rate, the demographic that we have actually that comes into the pub now is amazing. I mean, ranging from anywhere from like, you know, 18, 19, all the way up to our ripe ages, Greg. Yeah, hey, right. We're right. all the way 30. to 30. <laughs> our, our ripe ages of 30. I mean, man. And uh, our parents. Too. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that is a true story. That, that happened. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's. I think that's kind of like what it's like. And are we going to start doing like a weekly segment? Because this is pretty fun. Eh? It is get pretty some, fun. Some... It's not even really like work. No, I mean, it's it's not at all. Don't tell anybody. And by the way, I did burn my finger on your elevator button. You know, you know that. Yeah, that's uh, the st- uh, that's weird. <laughs> we should probably look into that. I think that's karma, Chris. It's called yeah. karma. It's called take the stairs, Chris. <laughs> uh, say I'm going to assume, but just to be sure, uh, which country will is are most people going to come to? watch at the King's Head Pub. It's definitely going to be England. Now, we are an all-inclusive club and uh, a bar, and please, everybody come in. But uh, England will definitely be uh, be a big one. We are an English-style pub. That's what we do. Um, the I would imagine that the 24th of June will be quite a fun one because England is playing at 7 a.m. that morning. So uh, that'll be, I mean, they're playing a lot before that too. But as an early game, uh, we expect to have a lot of people out for that. And we're getting lots of calls. I'm getting lots of emails of people uh, coming down and booking reservations for the early games and stuff like that. So we're pretty pumped up about it. But definitely England will be a... Uh, a crap show, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Glad you edited yourself at least somewhat there, Chris. <laughs> How can people reach out and make sure that they get a seat? Uh, they can uh, go onto our website at kingshead.ca. Uh, I also, we have a World Cup schedule of all the early games that we are showing. And if you do not see the game there that you want to, give us a call. Peter Shelley will definitely gladly work it for you. No problem. All right, Chris Graves from the King's Head Pub. Uh, for those who don't know where it is, what's the address? 120 King Street, right across from Old Market Square, the big cube. That's on King Street? Is there King's any Head, correlation King Street? there? No, nope, not at all, uh, just, just, just by chance. Just tapped out like that. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thanks for the visit, man. We're, and thanks for visiting us before noon. When we heard that <laughs> yeah. you were confirmed, I thought, wow, he's going to come see us in the morning. As you know, we had a little bit of a stag last night, so uh, I did not go to sleep, and I decided to come right here. So there you go. Well, I better give a shout-out to Reg, who's getting ah. married this weekend, another friend uh, from our collective past here, and uh, all the staff and everyone. You know what? They do make you feel incredibly welcome. I, I don't go out very often anymore, but when I do, I need to my lobster mac and cheese <laughs> at the King's Head Pub. And Doug just right. sent a text here at 780-6868. Classy move by your guest to thank Jay, the previous owner. Most people wouldn't do that. Good guy. So, uh, Chris, that. thanks for continuing the tradition of uh, good guys at the King's Head. And uh, we look forward to keeping in touch with you throughout FIFA. Hey, let's do it. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shannon Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Na, 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 na.